Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Hannah Fern. Given the omni-shambles that is the levelling up agenda, you could be forgiven for thinking that the government really doesn't give a monkeys about local communities and the principles of localism. But ye of short memories, cast your minds back. Only a decade ago, when George Osborne was Chancellor, the Conservatives offered new powers to local councils over matters including housing and transport in return for them electing their own metro mayors. And there are 24 now, 24 directly elected mayors in England. I'm joined today by the most well-known and influential Tory, Andy Street, who is Mayor of the West Midlands Combined Authority. Hi, Andy. Hannah, hi. Great to be here with you. So you were first elected in May 2017. Correct. And that result... Um, I suppose retrospectively, uh, was one that some labelled as an early sign that the Red Wall was crumbling. Were you surprised to win on that day? On the day, no. We knew on the polling day that it was going to be neck and neck. And of course, I won by a tiny, tiny yes, number, yes. 4,000 in 2 million votes or 2 million voters. Uh, but if you take a little longer term, six months, uh, yes, I was surprised. Everyone said when I chucked in John Lewis to stand for this job that um, there's no chance, Andy, you're mad. Why on earth are you giving up a good job? But I just had this sneaking feeling we could do it. Because to your point about the Red Wall, the signs had been there about the Red Wall in the West Midlands, probably right back to 2005, the direction of travel had been clear and we were improving our overall electoral position for some time. And then, of course, the massive breakthrough was in 2019. But if you look at the results for a decade, it had been coming. You were making your case, I guess, and your background in Don Lewis was as a salesman. Tell, tell us a little bit about the start of your <laughs> salesman, career. Salesman, lovely. Well, you, you began, yeah, uh, yeah, I was, I was. Uh, so my career in John Lewis started as a graduate trainee, and I literally spent the first um, Christmas on the till at one of our shops in Brent Cross, and I learned how to do it from the bottom up, really. And I'm a huge believer in that, actually. And John Lewis, I have huge admiration for to this day because they believed in developing their own people for their senior leadership jobs in the future. Exactly the same in Waitrose, a sister company, a friend of mine, colleague, worked through the ranks as well. And that was very unfashionable. You know, the idea was you had to go and work for 12 different companies to demonstrate your career path. But John Lewis was exactly the opposite of that. There was something about values, principles that led you to be a suitable leader. So you came to, I guess, make your case about you as a representative of the West Midlands with that sales background, let's say. What did you feel like you needed to say about yourself to oh, get gosh, the people to understand? I, I, I suppose <laughs> I needed to say this, and this is why I think, um, uh, and it maybe is a theme we'll pick up, this was a different political job. Yeah. This wasn't being a representative of the party in London. This was first and foremost being an in an individual, one person, single point of accountability, the textbook said, uh, to lead the West Midlands. And that I believed I had built some skills in business that enabled me to do that job. So the idea of building a team, building a strategy, standing accountable for what you were doing, that's exactly what you do as a CEO. So, so many journalists say to me, politics and business are so different. But actually, I thought in this job, there was far more similarity than difference. Mm, that's interesting. So... Um, you talk about how there's this distance between London and, and, and Birmingham and you are going to be located right there. So what makes both that job but also the region different? Why is it different from being an MP? What is it about the region that you really need to represent? When you are lobbying with, you know, literally the cabinet, you're yeah, having those absolutely. meetings. absolutely. Or international business people exactly. who are investing. So I think the big difference is one phrase. It's about place, not party. To whom do I owe my loyalty? 
I'm not whipped by the Conservative Party. My loyalty is solely to the people of the West Midlands. And on occasions, it will mean that you don't necessarily agree with everything that the government does. I am fiercely proud to be a Conservative, but it does not mean I am bound by what the government say. And that's, I think, the big difference. And if you're elected on a manifesto, standing behind a Prime Minister as a Member of Parliament, that's not happened to me. It is different. I mean, you've definitely lived that value so. in so much as you've been quite outspoken where you, you differ. Yeah. You recently described the levelling up agenda as a comms cock up. Um, what did you mean by that? Oh, uh, very straightforward. Uh, your, int- your introduction almost reveals why I said what I did. I can't remember exactly the phrases you you used. Just remind me now what you said right at the beginning of the broadcast. I said that it was the an ominous shambles. shambles. So that, there you have it. <laughs> and that the, the government didn't give a monkey's vote. So the fact that you can say that and people aren't saying what she's on about, that's sort of because the truth is that Michael Gove and his team have invested billions of pounds in addressing the levelling up challenge. But are we getting that message across? No, because we allowed the one thing that was called the levelling up fund to be a tiny, tiny sum of money relative to everything else that's happening. But that carried the name. And as we all know, the allocations, the levelling up fund were at best controversial last time. So that's what I mean by saying we're not getting the advantage of what we're doing. And you do then have to say, how are we not communicating this well enough? So there's not enough money there. In the levelling up fund, no, but that's not the way levelling up is delivered. It's about how all the other government funding is actually helping in what it does. And do you believe that anything has happened there that you should be happy about? Yes, huge amount. So what should the government be telling us that we're not hearing? So uh, they should be telling us that uh, with the mayoral combined authorities, first of all, there have been, in our case, I'll give you our number, uh, £7.4 billion is the additional amount of money that the West Midlands Combined Authorities brought into the West Midlands uh, since its inception to do levelling up. And we see an improvement in the skills uh, standards in the West Midlands. We see an improvement in uh, number of doubling of the number of homes being built. We see unprecedented amount of capital investing in transport. No one could possibly question that. But then... Do you actually hear that total story uh, from uh, from government in a coherent way? Sometimes not. So that's what I meant, that the reality is better than the con story. Do you think that the West Midlands has unique challenges that need to be addressed through the funding that you're describing? Um, or are they the same challenges as faced in the North and so on? Is there something specific that you'd like to see more of? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, so... One of the things that unites the mayors, actually, sometimes cross-party, um, uh, but very much because of the job we're doing, is there are a lot of similarities. And actually, if you stand back, the big picture of Britain is London, wonderfully successful international city, and almost every other city region in the UK below average GDP. And that's very different to the situation in France, in Germany, in the US. So there is a there is definitely a common factor in this whole levelling up debate. But... Um, what there are also is individual situations and there is definitely an individual situation in the West Midlands. Uh, we are the part of the country that still has the highest proportion of its GDP from manufacturing. So inevitably, some of the challenges around energy policy at the moment, around terms of trade changing, they are more acute 
for us than for others. And if you want to pull out a real specific, the automotive industry being so much in the headlines, hasn't it? I mean, the West Midlands is the capital of the automotive sector for the UK. So we have got a specific piece there. And if you said to me, what's the government got to do to help us more? The whole question about the move to the electrification of the automotive industry is mission critical. And obviously it's great that there is a rumour, not yet confirmed, uh, that there will be good news for that sector coming because that really, really matters to us. We hear a lot about the North from the government. Um, you know, there's the Northern powerhouse, whatever happened to that, but <laughs> there's a lot of communications about the North. Do you feel like there's a genuine understanding of the identity of the Midlands in Whitehall? Or do you feel like you're fighting against that sometimes? It's a fair question. So, yes, I do sometimes feel that we've got to keep fighting that battle. Um, but in a sense, you know, I said earlier on, I chucked in a job because I wanted to go and do this other one for the West Midlands. I can't have it both ways. <laughs> if there's a real job to be done there and you need someone to step forward and be that uh, that champion, um, I can't then sort of complain that the challenge exists. But you are right. It is often easier to talk about the North as the sort of... Um, it's not necessarily a meaningful phrase. Exactly. And <laughs> my goodness... I'm sure, I'm it's sure not, people feel It's not a same. homogenous place, is it? So, <laughs> no, exactly. But your point is right. It is more often talked about. But again, look at the evidence. The Let's take HS2 as one of the things that is clearly one of the biggest agents of levelling up. The West Midlands part of HS2 is intact. It is not in the north. No, we right. understand that. So there is a clear piece of evidence there that the government has consistently backed our vision for HS2 being critical to the West Midlands. What's your relationship like with Whitehall as a mayor? Um, that's a very interesting question. Um, I would describe it as um, pretty positive. But There's a note of hesitation. Yeah, I'm going mind? to explain why. I'm going to, exp- I'm going to be very honest with you and explain why. It's very positive. And I said earlier, we've got a lot of money out of Whitehall, if you put it in that very um, uh, transactional way. Uh, I think it's professional. I hope they'd say that we, in the combined authority, did a pretty good job in putting our cases. But it's immature. And that's the reason for hesitation. And actually, at the heart of the devolution deal that we struck with Michael Gove in March, the really important thing was about maturing of the relationship. So I previously said that devolution was sort of incomplete because, yes, we'd make our proposals, but Whitehall would decide. Mm. And actually what the Devo deal moves to is this idea of a single settlement, single pot, as Michael Heseltine always called it, for the West Midlands and Greater Manchester. And that is a really, really important move. So we take decision making control. And so what we've got at the moment, hence the word immature, is we've got a sort of staging post to that. Mm. But you know what? I do get, we've only been at this for six years, remember? Six years since we were even formed. And so some would say it's quite surprising that in a very short period of time, by historical standards of changing governance structures, we've made all this progress. So I sort of say that's okay as a mm. pace and we've sort of got to grow with it naturally. I mean, that's a very optimistic view. And I, I know, am an I optimist. I hope you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but doesn't every government, once it gains power, you hear a lot in manifestos mm. about localism and the importance of local government, the importance of local decision-making. And then when it becomes the government, 
whoever yeah, is elected exactly. becomes centralist. And and there will be some listeners. Uh, who, won't you constantly have to fight against yeah, that? And there'll be some of your listeners. Oh, he would say that, wouldn't he? He's a Tory guard. He would say that. But you have to say. Well, I uh, don't think there's any difference actually. Whether you're ah, conservative exactly. or Labour, that that's just. A, a, it's just that you're making a point about the nature of a new incoming government right. controls, and I get that point. But let's just examine the fact: Has this government? Through particularly through Jeremy Hunt, said we are prepared to give away power. Mm. £1.5 pounds was the value of our deal. They've said there'll be this single pot settlement. That moves us to a sort of uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland status. That is giving away power. So they've done that. And if I may be slightly provocative, we've now got Please to do. see, we've now got to see, uh, would any incoming Labour government, should there be one, would they be prepared to honour that? Mm. And I sort of think that my party's thrown the gauntlet down and said, we're going to do this and we need to hear the response from Rachel Reeves. Metro mayors as a as a role have been around for a couple of decades now. I know yeah. they're maturing in the way you've described, yeah. but they have existed for that Correct. period of time. But only yourself and I would say possibly Andy Burnham as well are the household names. He definitely is. Um, you don't think you are? No, no, I was comment I about it's not, for, it's not for me to comment so. on myself. Um, <laughs> um, but why do you think they've become more visible? Why Why do we only know of the two of you? Uh, well, Sadiq Khan as well, obviously, because oh, that's the same yeah. model. But and, that's uh, true, yeah. Uh, so the interesting thing is, you said two decades. The only place that's had a mayor for two decades is London. Mm. And look how the role, whoever has done the job, whichever party, the role has become more and more entrenched in London, which is a good thing. Whether it be Greater Manchester or the West Midlands, which... People would say the next two places. Uh, that's only been uh, only been six years, so I, I actually think it's becoming the established uh, place. And I hope Andy would say the same. It's great to be a trailblazer. Great to sort of be setting the pace. And we, I hope, both of us have done that reasonably well. So do you expect that there'll be more yes, individuals visible who'd yeah. be able to talk about? I, I do, yeah. and I think they're we emerging. And I actually think that um, you said in your intro as well. There's 24 directly elected mm. mayors now. There's other places coming forward with their deals. So again, you've got to be realistic about this. The governance of this sophisticated, deeply ancient country doesn't change overnight. But is this model becoming established? I genuinely believe it is. And I believe one of the reasons why a place likes the idea of a champion, their representative that they can relate to and with whom the buck stops. Isn't that the key thing that you you have made yourself... um I guess, the person who represents and reflects the character of Mm. your area. Perhaps the reason that uh, some of these individuals that we think of, like yourself and Andy Burnham, and indeed in London with Ken Livingstone and Boris Johnson, um, the reason they were so successful is that they sort of embodied some of the values of their places. And is it about picking the right person to represent the area? If you don't have the right person, then they're not going to be visible in the way that you are. Spot on. And this is the, the this is the. So they've got to pick. You've got to pick the it, right person. It's got to. It's an individual role. Mm. That's absolutely right. And you know, I'm not going to be in any way uh, uh, critical of anywhere else. But the model isn't advancing with the same place in every area. And uh, the whole question of how how it matures in time 
it's not just dependent on the individuals, but it's also dependent on how strong the structures are behind them. One of the government reasons the government trusted us with this billions of pounds of money is I've got a board made up of our local council leaders cross party that clearly can exercise proper decision making, got an executive who can do the proper, proper due diligence and stuff, make sure we don't waste public money. And all of that has to be built over time in this area. But you're, so underlying- we should be patient. You should. And the underlying point is right though. A place need, I always think, um, when I do interviews for Middle East Today, ITV Central, which is where my residents watch, I think even if they disagree with me, do they think he's doing a fair job as our representative, our leader? Are his person, is, are his values, his principles, are they things that the average Coventry and Brummie or Froonian, whatever they are sitting at home, think, mm. yeah, that's okay. He's all right to represent me. And that value set thing really matters to me. Okay. So... Super councils, which oh, yeah. are obviously an important part of you know, this kind of expansion of localism and, and powers of local government, they are touted as the future of local democracy. And your own West Midlands combined authority is very big, and it's already and it's expanding further. How big should it get? Just let me correct you. There is no agreement yet for it to expand. Okay, there are all sorts of rumours, yes. uh, uh, but there is no... Can you give us a hint? On no, I can't because... Uh, no, it's very simple. Uh, no council has formally applied to join yet. If they do, I would welcome it. Um, it'd be clear about that, but there is no process at the moment. Um, how big they should get? There isn't a five million people X square metres answer to that because um, it's about... What is the natural economic geography? But also is it the emotional geography it, yeah, as well? Ex- exactly should so. Should it be Shropshire? Should it what be Crewe? How far or, is or What do you feel part of? Mm. I don't think Crewe, which is in Cheshire, if my geography is right. I don't think is, many yeah. people in Cheshire say they're part of the West Midlands. No, they don't. Um, but, but it's still, it's close enough that arguably you could, you could I make think that's case. An, I think that's an extended case. But you are right that uh, the reason we started as we did was there was definitely an economic coherence. You know, transport doesn't stop at the end of Birmingham. Skills training doesn't stop at the end of Wolverhampton, da-da-da. It works in a bigger picture. Uh, and yes, potentially that could grow, but it has to have that economic coherence. That's You're right, that emotional coherence, social coherence. You can't just draw a random line. It's got to feel like something we're part of. And I do think the questions connect actually that that's that's why it seems to be working for us that there is mm. that sort of that connection belong sense of belonging to it isn't just to argue on the contrary mm. you know, such expansion that mm. is touted rumored yeah whatever um, isn't it in direct conflict with the spirit of localism doesn't ah, it? no there's a really important point here because you describe this as super council and I didn't interrupt, but I don't think that's actually the helpful description because we are not trying to do what a council does. And the reason it's not in conflict is you devolve from London to the regional authority, things that are best done at regional level. Transport planning is obviously the best. Everyone just thinks, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. As one train company for the West Midlands falls and that doesn't stop us, I say, at the end of Solihull. Um, uh, but you do not take the things up that the council does currently. Indeed, potentially you push even more down to council and even more below council level could be parish level. So the whole principle of devolution can be done it's at different levels. Okay. Absolutely. It's a super council. That's a wrong psychology around it. Let's move back to the kind of 
nitty gritty of politics at the moment. Mm. So in 2021, there were a lot of eyes on you to see if the new blue wall, as we call it oh, now yeah. sometimes, yeah. was holding. Yeah. And obviously you were re-elected. Yeah. What do you make of the strength of the Conservative vote in your area now? Encouraging. And you may be surprised. Your face well, is telling me surprised. <laughs> but let me just tell you the facts. And there's no reason why you should necessarily have picked this up because we are... Uh, Midlanders are quite modest and so the party's achievement in the West Midlands recently has been very interesting. Uh, we did not, just put it this way, it'll click immediately. Local elections recently, we did not lose a single council seat in the West Midlands combined authority net-net. And the three urban conservative councils, Walsall, Dudley, Solihull, were all returned with substantial majorities. So there is something because you asked me the question about my region, there is something in the success of the party in the West Midlands that is of significance. And I put it down to practical delivery on the ground in those authorities. So that's incredibly encouraging for you and your party in your area. How far do you, with that success locally, feel represented by your party in Westminster now? Um because you have been very critical of some individuals. Oh. Recently, you spoke out about Suella Braverman and the speeding fine. I debacle. made a general point. I didn't talk about her fine particularly. But let's answer your question. Uh, so I'm sure this would ever be the case. Uh, of course, there are some people in the government you naturally warm to as individually more than others. Of course, there are people who are much more my type of conservative. If you did that in that philosophical sense, Jeremy Hunt would be my most natural ally. He was the person I backed for leader uh, first round last summer. Uh, but let's be absolutely clear. I am 100% behind Rishi Sunak and the current government uh, and uh, uh, believe that my experience in the West Midlands about a moderate, inclusive, tolerant, conservative brand that gets on and delivers in tough places, there is a message for the National Party there, and it chimes with Rishi's very clear focus on delivery. Are there any individuals that you think you'll be wise to? Oh, I'm not going to answer that question. That's not for, that's not for, me, that's not for me to answer, of course. <laughs> we can draw your own uh, conclusions, no, uh, yeah. listeners, uh, by having a look at some of the comments that um, Andy has made. Um, around some of the practical policy areas mm. that the government's tackling at the moment, you mm. criticised energy companies directly yes. for their failure to do more on the cost of living. Yeah. Would you like to see more interventionism from the government on cost of living? Uh, well, let's talk about energy um, uh, because there's a very this is a very very live issue still, and it, uh, everyone always says the government must, but it's more complicated than that actually, because um, let's just explain what the issue is. Uh, wholesale prices of energy are falling. Great. But if you signed a deal last autumn, you are still paying those very inflated prices, probably five times what you were paying before the energy crisis called came. And of course, the government support has now fallen away. So they are left beached. And, there are, and the reason why this is so important to me, if you think about the structure of our economy, very dependent on energy in our manufacturing sector. So it really, really matters to those SMEs across the black country. So so the issue is, are the energy companies going to release these customers from these punitive deals? And if the energy companies will not, what is the regulator going to do? And if the regular way, the rater won't act, what is the government going to do? And we're at a very intense period of discussions with companies and uh, uh, currently on that very issue because it has not gone away. 
And you obviously feel like leadership is very important I there do. and you're you're putting your stand out there yes. in terms of what your your position. Um you've talked about your local success as a party. Um, but obviously the poll lag does remain of for course, government nationally. No, we're not being naive about that. When we come to next year's general election, do you and uh, and later, you know, and the election of Metro mayors yeah. as well, do you think that you will suffer from the Conservatives' unpopularity for reasons that have nothing to do with the work that you've described? Me? Yeah, uh, of course, um, that you bear the uh, the 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 result will be somewhat influenced by the brand of your the positioning of your party's brand. It's ever been the case. Uh, there isn't anyone who stood on a party label in 100 years. That isn't the case for. But as we said earlier on, the wonderful thing about the elected mayor job is there's lots of evidence across the country. I mean, look at Ben Houchen's wonderful success electorally, mm. surpassing anything that could mm. possibly have been expected from, from uh, a conservative in the Tees Valley. So it is possible for the electorate to see the individual performance in these roles. And so I personally hope that next May, uh, whatever the positioning of the conservative brand, um, that people will say, what sort of job's Andy done? So finally, then, what's your prediction for the general election? Oh, it's uh, all to play for. Uh, and I, I mean, I, that's going to sound glib, so just let me explain. Of course, the, the bookies are right, aren't they, at the moment? They don't, it doesn't lie that the, the likelihood, uh, um, if you take the current polls, uh, is uh, that Kistama will convert his current poll lead into a win. However, there are rough my guess, don't know, is there's 18 months to go. And the lesson of history is that the hell of a lot can change in 18 months. And the reason that I believe that my party will come through is that it, it's got a clear plan for delivery. It understands what the priorities are for the country. And there is no evidence at all that the country has fallen in love with the Labour opposition. Very clear. The deal has not been signed. And the evidence of that is so obvious from the results in the West Midlands. Thank you very much, Andy. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to support The Bunker, please consider backing us on Patreon. Just choose the amount you want to donate and help us keep making new episodes. I'm Hannah Fern. Thank you for listening. Bunker Daily was presented by Hannah Fern. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Liam Tate, Kasia Tomaszewicz, and me, Alex Rees. Art direction by James Parrott. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Bunker.